A young child watches a strange phenomenon obey traffic laws. And we take another look at an old American disaster to find out it's worse than we thought. And then we travel to 1890s New York to meet a tiny little man who has a bizarre claim to fame. As rowdy alcoholics are being thrown out of bars, this man waits in the darkness to drink the blood from their bodies. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having an awesome weekend. This is... Uh, supposedly super hot. I'm pre-recording this episode too. I was not waiting until I got 104 outside. I'm recording this when it is calm 80 degrees. I'm recording this a couple days earlier before this heat wave melts the planet. Speaking of melting the planet, let's give a shout out to one of our legacy Patreon supporters. He's walking into Dead Rabbit Command on a tidal wave of lava. It's Coda 119. Everyone, give a round of applause to Coda 119. Don't get too close to them. You will die. You will 100% die. It is that hot with the hot lava. Coda, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Coda, we got a lot of stuff to cover. So first off, I'm going to give you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are driving on out to Santa Rosa, California. Coda's driving this little Jason Jalopy down the street. I found this story online. It was written by user Amherst Doldrums, 1980. We're going to go ahead and give her the name of Judy. And if that's your real name, it's just a stab in the dark. Santa Rosa, California. Judy is a nine-year-old girl at the time. She's not a nine-year-old girl writing this, as far as I'm aware. If she is, she has great grammar. But Judy was in Santa Rosa, California at this time. And she's riding her bike to the Sonoma County Airport. <laughs> Let me back up here. (laughs) here You're like, what? Is this girl running away or something? Judy in Santa Rosa, California. She likes to ride her bike. I guess I don't have to go that far back, right? Her dad's teaching her how to ride bikes the day her training wheels get taken off. That's too far back. The reason why she's going to the Sonoma County Airport is because they always have... This actually makes a lot of sense. It used to be you could go... You're like, just just tell the story. Could go on all these tangents. When I was a kid, and I'm I'm sure I'm a little bit older than this person, but not not by much. I'm assuming they were born in 1980. You could just walk into an airport. You could walk up to the departure area of planes and like just wave, and people are like, "Oh, that's sweet. Who's that? Is that our nephew?" You're like, "No, I thought that maybe was your nephew." You're just waving goodbye to random people, and then you're giving them the neck slit motion, and then you walk away. You could just walk around airports. You could hang out at airports. You could go eat the food. But you can't do that anymore. You were able to do that. I distinctly remember the day when you could no longer do that. It was September 11th. They said you can't do that anymore. We have all these boarding passes and security checkpoints. Before, you were just able to kind of walk to wherever. So it would make sense back when... So let's assume this girl's 1980, so it's 1989. You would be able to go to the county... This is my... Okay... The reason why she's going, you're looking at your watch. The reason why she's going to an airport is because it has a fully stocked vending machine. They have all the best snacks at Sonoma County Airport. I could have just said that, what, six minutes ago. Sonoma County Airport, Judy is riding her bicycle there to get some tasty, tasty snacks. And she's riding down this road. She's done it many, many times. She sees a large oval floating 
just floating there. And she said it was like a gold ring. Remember like Sonic the Hedgehog? You know, the <laughs> Jason, I don't know what a gold ring is. I don't have to be some video game nerd. It's like this giant gold ring. It almost feels like a portal appears big enough for you to step through. And it's at a slight angle. So it's like this golden oval, about human-sized, at a slight angle. And it's just floating there. And she's riding her bike, and she sees this thing, and it begins to move down the street. And she's watching this oval, and she realizes something weird's going on. <laughs> Other than the floating object that shouldn't exist. She said this area is like an industrial district. As you get close to the airport, it becomes an industrial district. And, of course, you know, you got planes flying overhead. She said as this oval, as this floating oval was getting closer, and she, and she could, you could, the reason why I use the ring analogy, you could see through it. You could totally see through it. It wasn't like a, a portal, like a, a hole in reality. It was a ring that you could see through. You could see what was on the other side, still our reality. Just this circular thing. She says as it moved closer, she realized it made no noise. But it's even weirder than that. She said as it got closer, it absorbed the noise from the environment around it. So the cars honking, the airplanes flying overhead, the industrial plants doing their thing. Those sounds got dimmer and dimmer as this thing got closer. It was like absorbing the natural sounds of the world. This object is floating down the road, and it comes to a stop sign, and it stops. And it's kind of hovering there for a second. She's on her bike, she's looking at this thing, and the sounds of the world seem dull. And then it turns left, and continues going down the road. Judy says while she's seeing this thing that she had a natural primitive reaction to leave. That whatever this was, it, she shouldn't be here. It shouldn't be here, but now that it is, she should leave. She said her lizard brain really kicked into gear and made her leave the area. She pedals on home, snackless. That's the end of the story. It has some interesting elements to it. It takes place in the day, which, again, I like those things. And I've, we've covered a few stories where th sound has been manipulated. I'll put one of them in the show notes personally where I had my voice muffled. I wasn't, some guy wasn't holding a chloroform rag to my face. I was speaking in a house. I was screaming in a house, actually, and the person upstairs couldn't hear me. I always think it's interesting when, because we, this is something we find solace in, right? That if at least, if let's say we all go in a haunted house together. We're on some spook hunt and we're looking for ghosts. And I'm in one room, you're in the other room, and I'm being violently attacked. You want to know that you can scream for help and someone can help you. You have this element that's absorbing the sound. What if something had happened to it? And the fact that it's this weird oval shape. Wait, would you try to jump through it? <laughs> Jason, no, no, after all this, absolutely not. Would you try to jump through it? Would you try to walk through a portal? If you saw a portal... This is an interesting question for us because we are pioneers on the frontiers of the spooky, of the strange, of the mysterious. I, I'm also going to assume we're not dummies, but would you step through a portal? It's kind of an interesting thought because if someone said, hey, listen, I have this book. If you open it up, if you start reading it, it will drive you mad. 
You'd probably be inclined to look, right? You'd probably be inclined to look. But would you step through a portal? They're like, that book you want to read is through this portal. It's an interesting thing. Like, would you be willing to do that? I keep asking the question like I'm waiting for you to answer before I continue the podcast. It's just something to think about. I think I always look at I'm a far different researcher now than I used to be. Nowadays, if someone put a book in front of me and they dusted it off and it's like a thousand year old tome. I said this book was written by some madman and everyone who's read it's ever gone insane. Do you want to read it? But back in the day, my 20s, my 30s, I would have started reading it while they're doing their introduction. They're like, oh, come on, man. Let me build it up. I'm already all... But nowadays, I'd probably be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I think as you get older, you start to weigh risk-reward more. And I think that's not groundbreaking news. I think people get older, they go, ah, maybe I won't bicycle without a helmet. Or maybe I won't start this street fight with this random dude. In your 20s and your 30s, you totally do that stuff. You're like, Jason, not in your third. Not everyone started fights in their 30s like you did. But you know what I mean? Nowadays, I would be interested in the book, but I don't know if I would read it. I don't know if I'd read it. And so as a young man, I would totally step through a portal. 100%. But as an older man, I'd be like, uh, can I take it home? Can I analyze it? Can I like throw a yo-yo through it and see if it comes through on the other side with a bunch of slime? But yeah, it's interesting. I think as you get older, you do become more cautious. Or am I wrong? Would you, if you were 80 years old, I guess you got nothing to lose if you're 80 years old. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I would step through a portal. But just food for thought. I I, I, I personally love portals. I love portals. If I, they're ever going to do uh, Jason fan fiction, a portal must be involved. Coda 119, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the... Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We are leaving behind the Sonoma County Airport. We are headed on out to Cape Canaveral, Florida. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful morning. It's January 28th, 1986. I'm actually 10 years old in this story. And I'm walking through school. You're like, you went to school at Cape Canaveral, Florida? No, let's go back to California. I was a 10-year-old boy. I was walking through school. I must have been like in the third or fourth grade or something like that. And we all knew what today was, right? It was this big day. It was the day the Challenger shuttle was going to go into space. And it was going to have the very first civilian in space, Christy McAuliffe, if I remember correctly. And I remember walking through, where was I at? Green Oaks at that time. I was in Orangeville. Green Oaks, I'm walking. I think recess had just ended. We're sitting in the classroom and one of the teachers, our teacher's getting prepared to teach. And another teacher comes into the room crying. And she goes, it blew up. It blew up. We're like, <laughs> a bunch of 10-year-olds are like, what? Oh no, did the world blow up? Did the president blow up? Like, what blew up? It was the Challenger shuttle. A Challenger shuttle we found out later. Now, there were a lot of classrooms that were watching this live. It was the first teacher in space. They were tying it all into this education thing. And we weren't watching it live, but apparently I think the teachers were in the teacher's lounge were watching it live. But some classes across America, they'd watch this live. I think most of us are familiar about what happened with the Challenger shuttle, but just a quick overview. 
it kept getting delayed. They'd bring all... This happened a lot when I was a kid. They'd bring all the camera crews out to watch a shuttle launch, and there'd be something wrong, and all the news networks would complain and say the government was incompetent, and they'd be like, we're going to reschedule it, and then they'd reschedule it, and they'd come back, and there's like a pigeon flying by from the west, and it should be flying by the, the east. So they shut the whole thing down, and this happened six times. The media was kind of on Reagan's back about, oh, you're so incompetent. You can't even, you can't even launch thousands of tons of steel out of Earth's gravity. What type of president are you? So now it's January 28th. They're getting ready to launch this bad boy again. And the night before, it was super, super cold. It was like one of the coldest nights on record for Florida. They actually called a meeting the night before. The people who developed the O-rings, because basically the shuttle's made out of all these parts. I imagine it's like the Congress, the Senate from Star Wars, because you have to have someone there who built each part. The people who developed the O-rings go, don't launch tomorrow. Don't launch tomorrow because it's so cold. We think that's going to make the O-rings not work right. And people are like, dude, there's literally millions of parts on this vehicle. We got to launch. I'm sure everything's going to be fine. But what happened was it got so cold the night before the O-rings shrunk a little bit. One minute and 12 seconds into the flight of the Challenger, there was a one millimeter gap in one of these O-rings. That allowed superheated fuel to spew out of a tank. And the Challenger shuttle exploded in midair. You can watch the footage. You see the booster rockets kind of go off in two separate directions. They're just... So we all know that story. But that story's not true. And I'm not saying it's not true, that conspiracy theory that the shuttle didn't really blow up and their lookalikes are still out there. That's an old normie conspiracy theory. Their lookalikes are like their brothers and sisters. Like, they're like, this guy says he died. On I looked this up. I, looked, I just had to re-verify it. They're like, this guy died in the Challenger shuttle, but we found a man that looks exactly like him that's around the same age, and he even has close to the same name. It's the dude's brother. So yeah, all those things are, they're probably going to have the same last name. They're going to look alike. But anyways, that's one of those weird conspiracy theories that it was fake because they really didn't want a civilian in space. I remember the early, because I used to be in conspiracy theories back when I was a kid. I remember hearing back when I was probably like 12 that the Challenger shuttle was planned. The explosion was planned, but it was because they didn't want a civilian in space. That was the conspiracy theory. Not that it was fake and they actually went to live real lives. Those conspiracy theories don't make sense. You'd have to pay them millions and millions of dollars a year to keep their traps shut. They blew it up on purpose so no civilian would ever want to go out to space. You'd have to be trained military because you know, aliens are out there and stuff like that. That was that conspiracy theory. And I didn't know this. You may have known this, and you may have already shut off the podcast because I kept saying the Challenger shuttle blew up. It didn't blow up. It didn't blow up. This is what I found the other day, and I just wanted to share it with you. It's just an interesting and tragic piece of news. When you watch this footage, you see an explosion. You see these booster rockets go in other directions, and then you don't see anything else but this giant cloud of smoke. But the Challenger shuttle itself didn't explode. It was the external fuel tank that had this massive explosion. The shuttle itself was covered in super heat-resistant silicone tiles. It was totally protected from the heat of the blast. And as far as we can tell, most, if not all, of the people on the shuttle were alive shortly after the explosion. The explosion was so violent that the Challenger shuttle was hit with the force equivalent of 2 million pounds of sudden thrust. 
20 G-forces are pushed upon these astronauts' bodies. They'd been training for three G-forces. And after this explosion happens, the shuttle actually continues to rise for another 20 seconds. Just the sheer shockwave of this thing continues to propel the Challenger shuttle forward. That 20 Gs of force wasn't enough to kill them. It wasn't even enough to knock them out. They would have been able to tank it for a bit. They could do it. It would not be comfortable. But they could survive that initial blast. And as the space shuttle continues to climb for another 20 seconds, after we were able to access parts of the Challenger, after it came back down to Earth, we saw that some of the oxygen tanks were turned on. So that means people were trying to activate their safety procedures. And the pilot... We can look at the control panel and see that he was flipping switches and trying to pilot the Challenger shuttle away from the explosion. He was doing his best to bring his team back to Earth safely, but that's not what happened. The Challenger shuttle got to 12 miles high in the sky, and they're desperately trying to gain control of the shuttle. On a wing and a prayer, maybe they can land this thing. They're 12 miles up in the air. The fall back to Earth took 2 minutes and 45 seconds. As far as we can tell, they were alive that entire time. It wasn't the explosion that killed them. It was crashing a space shuttle into the Atlantic Ocean. It's funny, I didn't go looking for this story, I just kind of stumbled across it, but... I'd recently covered an episode about a cucumber found underwater. You're like, Jason, that's a weird segue. Well, if you'd listened to the episode, and again, I don't expect people to listen to every episode, but I was talking about the cucumber underwater may have been some sort of safety capsule from an alien craft. It was, it, if you haven't listened to the episode, it was the size of a human. It was a cucumber-shaped object, and this monster popped out of it, humanoid monster, so. And my theory that it just felt like me, like who knows, but it felt to me that maybe this was some sort of safety harness or safety mechanism that this alien ship bailed out of. You know, I didn't have any proof for it. I called it my head cannon. But I ended that episode by saying that, you know, exploration is such a dangerous thing and we salute the explorers out there. Like you're breaking the bounds of your nation or your planet or your reality you're trying to find out what's on the other side and 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 this ch and that was you know me putting on the conspiracy cap thinking that could have been what was lurking in the waters of Finnish Bay was this alien explorer but let's bring it back closer to home and realistic like I don't know if that's what that monster was it could have just been a monster who loves to hide in cucumbers but the people who died on the challenger they were explorers they were people who we're risking everything to just visit space. They blew up. And, and, and it's just so dangerous. Exploration is so dangerous. I keep talking about whether or not to walk through a portal. Do I have that exploratory drive in me? These people jumped inside a vehicle, a man-made vehicle, and tried to leave the planet, and uh, they died. So, yeah, exploration is very, very dangerous. I just thought this was an interesting story. And it was something that I did not know. I always assumed that the Challenger shuttle blew up. It was the fuel tank that blew up. I assumed they died instantly. No, they had 2 minutes and 45 seconds to try to save themselves. And it's, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a story. It's about human tragedy. It's creepy. And it tied into what we were talking about the other day. How 
dangerous exploration is. Coda 119, let's go ahead and toss you the key. Coda's all sitting in the corner. He's like, man, this is sad. I don't want to go on any more adventures with you. Ah, this next one's good. This next one's not going to be depressing. Assuming you, assuming you don't mind people being assaulted walking through the streets in New York City. Coda 119, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We're leaving behind Cape Canaveral. We are headed out to New York City. <laughs> And hit that little time travel button because we're going back to the early 1800s. Carpenter Copter is now sepia tone flying over the city that is New York. Buildings are a lot shorter back then. Everyone moved real quick. Do you know that's a conspiracy theory that Hans has? I've never covered that. You know, weird segue, but you know when you watch old-timey movies, people move really, really fast? And Hans isn't the only one who's had this conspiracy theory. I'll put it in the show notes. But you know when you watch old-timey movies, everything moves super fast because that was just the frame rate of, like, old film. It was always just super fast. The conspiracy theory is this, is that that it has nothing to do with the film rate. When you're watching, like, a Buster Keaton movie, when when you're super bored and there's not a new Transformers movie to watch and you're just like, ugh, you have literally nothing else to watch. You're like, fine, I'll watch this Buster Keaton nonsense. And you put it in, and everyone's going, and the little cops are like, and Buster Keaton's like, and then they're like running around a bank vault or something like that, and then like a pillow appears. I'm not a fan of old film, but I'm sure some of you are. I'm sure I got a couple Keatonites listening to this show. You know, the reason why they move so fast is not because of the film speed. It's because in the past, people used to move fast. That's what people really acted like back in the day. Back if you went and you met some, if you took a time machine, you went back to the 1910s, everyone would be all, and Teddy Roosevelt would be like, and be like moving around super fast. And then there'd be like a girl in a dress and she'd faint. Basically, before 1910, the world moved at Benny Hill speeds, where everything was just super fast. So the film was actually capturing life. Look at you guys are getting a bonus Hans episode. I didn't think we'd go down this route. Those old movies are actually were capturing what the times were like back then. People were faster. And time is slowing down. Now if you put a camera up somewhere and someone walks by... There's no dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. They're not doing the little old-timey fast movements. The girl from the ring, Samara's still keeping with the times. She, she's retro. She's a hipster ghost. But everything else, time is slowing down. And I guess he is kind of coming back. I guess he's been posting on Twitter and stuff like that. If you guys are new to the show, I'm sorry. I don't like doing in-jokes and stuff like that. If you guys are new to the show, Hans is someone we followed for a long time. He's a conspiracy theorist. Most famously believes that monkeys aren't real. I'll put that episode in the show notes. We've covered him a couple times on here. But Hans believes that. Han, and and he, he is not the only one. It's a very interesting conspiracy theory because it is observational-based. It's an observational-based conspiracy theory, which we see a lot of. But anyways, uh, where were we going with that? Oh, tiny vampires. Let's try, to, let's try to get through this tiny vampire story and see where we end up. This story actually came to my attention. There is there's a website called Misfits and Mysteries, and they have a podcast as well. They've actually put out a ton of content. If you're looking, I I've only listened to a few of their episodes. I can't vouch for everything. If 
eight episodes in, they start saying some crazy stuff. Don't hold it against me. But uh, Misfits and Mysteries, they put out a podcast. If you're looking for another paranormal podcast, like I said, I've only listened to a couple episodes. But I got this story from them with additional reporting I got from gangsannotated.blog. You're like, what? That's kind of a weird... It's kind of a weird combination, paranormal website and a gang-related website. But here's why. This is a really interesting story. My name, my name's Jason Carpenter, but my podcast is Dead Rabbit, Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit is old Irish gang slang. It means unstoppable or unkillable. Common vernacular, it was it was something they used back in the day to go, man, that guy sure is a dead rabbit. It's Buster Keaton's running around really quick. And he's like, those cops will never catch him means super tough. And in the book, The Gangs of New York, which is a documentation of all of this activity of New York of the time, you might have seen the movie by Martin Scorsese. It's based on this book by Herbert Ashbury. He talks about the gangs of New York, and there's a small passage in this book about Ludwig. So bizarre. This is so bizarre. In this book, Gangs of New York, there is a small passage about Ludwig the Bloodsucker. You go, well, I saw the movie. There's Bill the Butcher. You know, he has, it was, uh, who was that? <laughs> I just know, Daniel Day-Lewis, Daniel Day-Lewis. He played Bill the Butcher. You know, probably Ludwig the Bloodsucker is just some colorful nickname. Well, in Herbert Ashbery's book, The Gangs of New York, which is talking about all this gang warfare, there's a little passage about a short dude named Ludwig who was covered in hair. Now, not like Chewbacca, but just had like a fur patch on his nose and fur coming out of his ears and big bushy eyebrows and fur all over his head. And just a furry looking dude. Not not, not the dog boy furry, but, you know, just imagine more of the old man from The Princess Bride, Billy Crystal furry. And he would hang outside of bars and he would just watch people go in and watch people go out. But they didn't see him. He was hidden in the darkness. He's standing there. And then every so often in the bar, they'd be like, you, you've drank too much. You, you're getting rowdy. You're getting rowdy. Get this bum out of here. 86, this alky. And then, you know, the security of the bar would throw out these rowdy drunks. And they'd, uh, and they'd stumble out the front door and they'd land in the alleyway and be like, uh, Martha's going to kill me when she finds out I spent all of our money. <laughs> that got dark. That got dark super fast. That's a real problem. People do that. Oh man, that got dark. But anyways, let's bring it back to the world of Ludwig because that unfortunately happens. As this man stumbles home, there's a little figure hiding in the alleyway. Oh man, my wife's gonna kill me. I can't pay our mortgage this week. <laughs> the alcoholic didn't say that. That was the sound of Ludwig leaping through the darkness, and he would tackle this drunk man and begin sucking the blood from him. <laughs> Taste like despair. My favorite. Nom, 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 nom. That's written in a book. That character is in a book. It's a true book. The Gangs of New York was based on anecdotes of the time, news articles of the time. And in the Gangs of New York, the book, there's this part about Ludwig the vampire. People are like, what in the, what in the, why is this in here? Was this some urban legend going around back then? Like, halfway through this book, he's talking about all these historical events, and he's like, oh, by the way, there's this tiny vampire who lives in the Bowery who drinks the blood of alcoholics who get thrown out of bars. Then, after the second Dead Rabbit riot and the 
call for Union troops and blah, 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 blah. People are like, what the hell is going on, Herbert? People just figured it was an urban legend that had worked its way into this book. But the website, Ashbury's The Gangs of New York Annotated, which is gangsannotated.blog, found an article. This is all they do, right? They just talk about this book. You think they'd run out of stuff to talk about by now? But they're always going to mine it for content. They found an article in a newspaper called The New York Mercury entitled A Human Bloodsucker. They go, this is it. I mean, like, this would totally explain why Herbert Ashbery is talking about Ludwig the Bloodsucker. Because this is of the period, this would be at the right time, the New York Mercury ran a newspaper article about Ludwig Hellrifle, a tiny man covered in tufts of hair who was being interviewed by a reporter. What had happened was Ludwig was being accused by his wife of attacking her. While she was sleeping, he is biting her arms. He's trying to drink her blood. This, this, I mean, this is salacious news. This would be salacious news nowadays. But back then, this woman is claiming to the police, hey, I need a divorce from my husband. He's trying to drink my blood while I'm sleeping. So this is how the, the story of Ludwig the Bloodsucker begins. And of course, reporters want to know what's actually going on with this. So a reporter is able to track down Ludwig. They have his name. They find Mr. Hell Rifle. And they go, hey, what's this thing about you trying to drink your wife's blood? You're biting her arms and stuff like that. She's accusing you of that. And and Ludwig asked the reporter, do you know my wife? My wife, Margertha. You know Margertha? Reporter's like, I don't know of any human by that name. Ludwig goes, okay, good. Because if you don't know my wife... Let me tell you what's really going on. So the reporter's getting ready to take notes. And Ludwig goes, I don't attack my wife and drink her blood. The reporter's writing it down. Ludwig goes, I do drink blood, though. The reporter's like, wait, what? Ludwig's like, yes, I do drink human blood. Let me tell you why. The reporter's getting super scared. He's like, oh, no, I hope this isn't too spooky. He starts off by saying, listen, I'm German. And Germans eat blood sausages, and they say that's good, right? But I drink blood. I mean, they're allowed to eat blood, and no one cares. But I drink blood, and everyone, ooh, freaks out. Like, come on, man. Drinking blood makes me feel so good. You should try it, bro. You should try it. I got some nice, uncongealed blood right here. Reporter's like, no, thank you. He's like, good. Because it was congealed. It probably would have made you sick. He goes, listen. They call me the bloodsucker. That's totally mean. I'm going to tell you why I drink this stuff, other than the fact that it's super delicious, and you should try some someday. When I was a little kid, because we're talking, this story's taking place like in the mid-1800s. When I was a little kid, I was went to the doctor. I was super sick all the time, and the doctor diagnosed me with something that's totally made up. We know it's totally made up today. <laughs> But back then, the doctor goes, well, I'm sorry your son Ludwig's not feeling good. He has something called poverty of the blood. Poverty of the blood. And parents are like, what's that? And the doctor goes, well, it's what it sounds like. He's poor, he has poor blood. His blood is begging for white blood cells from other people. So make him eat as much meat as possible. And apparently in this time in Germany, meat was... A little bit harder to come by. But the doctor's like, dude, he has to eat meat. He has to go eat meat. So they're feeding little Ludwig a diet of meat. And that's not working, just eating meat. Then they start serving him raw meat. 
And he's like, oh, man. Now, now I don't have poverty of the blood. I have middle class of the blood. But he's still not 100%. So then they start buying him blood from the butcher's shop, which I don't even think they probably had to buy it, right? The butcher's, like, getting ready to throw it down the drain. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can I have some of that blood? And the butcher's like, yes, you sicko. Take it. Take it all. He begins drinking animal blood. He gets super healthy. Now he has rich man of the blood. He's drinking this animal blood and everything is going great. But when he was at school one day, a kid got a cut on his hand. He's like, ow, oh man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been running so fast. Dang time speeding up so much. And he has this blood dripping from his hand and Ludwig's like, the kid's like, the kid's like, can you get out of my ear? This isn't an ASMR podcast. And Ludwig somehow convinces this kid. Like, I don't know what someone would have to say to me. Maybe like a sexy lady, right? Like, she'd have to be like super sexy. If if she has poverty of the sexiness, uh -uh uh-uh-uh, no sucking on the blood. But apparently he's able to convince his classmate, hey, dude, why don't you, uh, hey, let's play a game, man. You have four square, right? Let's play your hand, my mouth. You're like, what? What game was that? What game was that? That sounds awful. But somehow Ludwig is able to convince this kid to let him lick the wound. And he does. And that's when Ludwig realizes that human blood is the tastiest, most energizing blood. And they didn't even know what energy was back then. They had no concept. But he's like, whoa, electrifying. Somebody stop me. And the kid, he's on, to this day, he's still sucking on that kid's hand. As the reporter's interviewing him, there's this other dude, there's this other adult with his hand in Ludwig's mouth. So once he realized human blood was the ticket, he began trying to get that. He began trying to get human blood. But, you know, it's hard to come by, right? Because it's usually in people who don't want to give it up. So he settles for animal blood. And he's telling this whole story to the reporter. And the reporter's like, what in the world are you talking about? Like... I, your wife's accusing you of drinking her blood while she's sleeping. He's like, no, I've never ever, he says, I've never bitten her arms to get her blood. So you're thinking, does he just normally bite her arms and that's how he fights? He goes, I don't drink my wife's blood while she's sleeping. And he also says, I want to set the record straight right now. I have never, ever broken into someone's house and sucked the blood from their feet while they're sleeping. The reporter's like, no, no one was accusing you of that, you pervert. What do you? No one even knew that was a thing. You weren't accused of doing that. Why did you? Why did you offer up that information in this interview? I just want to be clear. I have never, ever, I've never, ever broken into a house while someone was drunk and asleep and sucked the blood out of their feet. I have never. Well, now I think you did because no one brought that up. But he is very adamant he never did that, and he goes on to say, listen. Some people think I would drink the blood from my own veins, but I wouldn't. I just enjoy the taste of blood the same way other people enjoy a glass of wine. And then the article just kind of ends. That's kind of like the end of the profile piece. The reporter ran out in terror. It's an interesting story. Obviously, when we look at old-timey newspapers, a lot of it was made up. A lot of it was made up. That's where we see a lot of the stories of giants. When you look through these old newspapers and they'll have photos of giants and people go, look, there were giants, they're uncovering giants back in the 1800s. Those stories were made up. And what I find super fascinating from a social aspect today 
is there are people who don't believe newspapers today. They're like, the New York Times, that's a total rag. It, it, the stuff they print is just fake. It's all propaganda. But then they'll believe a newspaper written in the 1800s, which, which was also the same. The journalistic industry has always been driven by profit and government interference. There's always government interference or private party interference trying to put a point forward. Newspapers back in the 1800s were no more pure than they are today. They just make stuff up to sell newspapers. So this is an interesting story. It could easily just be made up. Not saying that gangs annotated or mysteries and misfits made it up. But it could be an old newspaper article that was made up. It could be a modern fake. What's interesting about it is that it is also reported in the Gangs of New York. And we do see a difference. You have Ludwig the Bloodsucker in Gangs of New York, and then we have Ludwig Heifel Rifle, or whatever his name was. Uh, Hell Rifle. That's not his name either. I'm mispronouncing that. But So we have him reported in two instances. We have him reported in this New York Mercury article, and then we have him reported in the Gangs of New York. But it's interesting because in Gangs of New York, he's a much more sinister character. And that would have most likely taken place after the article. Where he is no longer just enjoying a nice glass of animal blood. And maybe the, maybe the occasional blood sucking from a sleeping man's toe. The character in Gangs of New York, he's hiding in alleyways waiting for drunks who are too inebriated to stumble home. He drinks their blood while they're laying in the alleyway. A much more sinister character. Possibly one, possibly an urban legend that came out from that article being written and people in the neighborhood knowing about them. You better get home before Ludwig gets you. They'd yell to some alky as he's burping and stumbling his way down the street. Or it's possible that this character did develop a overriding desire for human blood and realized the perfect way to get it was to not have to hunt for it. He knew where the blood would be, knew where he could take it from people who were unconscious, not killing them, but just pricking their toes and sucking their blood, their alcohol-soaked blood, which is twice as delicious, from their dirty feet. That'd be so disgusting, taking off their socks. Can you imagine how dirty feet were back in the 1800s? I bet you old-timey feet smelt the worst. Like, could you imagine smelling a a pilgrim's foot. You're like, Jason, I never ever thought about that. But now every Thanksgiving, I'm going to imagine a pilgrim. I'm going to imagine putting my nose right between his toes. But yeah, so he's drinking this blood right out of these dudes' feet. Or not. Maybe it is all just an urban myth. Maybe he never existed at all. Maybe he did exist in the news article and then became an urban legend. Or maybe Ludwig Heifel Rifle did lose his wife. He was exposed as a bloodsucker. He ended up on the streets himself. And that is where he continued to feed. The gangsannotated.blog website did note that they were not able to find any record of Ludwig's death. Is it possible that the stories of the vampire are true? That drinking human blood can keep you young forever? All you gotta do is suck it from the toes of a sleeping alcoholic. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. 
I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.